Father in heaven, we come before thee this afternoon hour. We thank you for your presence with us already this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word of truth, which is our rock for this life in which we live in. Jesus Christ is the word, the Logos. And you have given us your word written down in black and white, Lord, and red and white. And we pray that you would impress upon our hearts that this is the rule book for life. This is the gospel, the good news. This is where we get all our strength from. As we heard Simon Peter say, Lord, where can we go when thou hast the words of eternal life? So be with us. Open our hearts. Uh, open the hearts of those especially that do not know thee as Lord and Saviour yet. May the word, the seed, fall on good ground and bring forth much fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. We pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This coming, or this, this past um, weekend, I was listening to some Ukrainian choir, uh, and it really moved me how they sang, and I could even understand perhaps 30% of what they were saying, because the words are very similar to that in Serbian. And uh, the one song that they sang in Ukrainian was Bless the Lord, O my soul, which is Psalm 103. So I was really moved to look into that Psalm 103 and see what the Lord has for us this afternoon. This is a Psalm of David. The subtitle says in my Bible, in the Bible, pulpit Bible here, an exhortation to bless God for his mercy in verse 1 and then verse 15, and for the constancy thereof. And it's a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, and who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, Neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. 
For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. At this last... um, Thursday's prayer meeting, I, I tried to uh, start the prayer meetings with a scripture reading. So it's not just a prayer meeting, and I'm not just saying just in a, in a small way, but it's also a worship time as well, that we reflect on the Word of God. And it is usually the Word of God that prompts us to pray, that we can use to guide us in our prayers. And um, because the word of God reflects his will and we should be praying what his will is. Having said that, when Brother Mille had his turn to, to do that, he felt really inspired to bring a devotion. And that to me was uh, so refreshing that it not only was just that it was his turn to, to read, but he felt his move to, to expound on what God had revealed to him when he found this verse or this, the passage that he referred to. And um, that, to me, was very moving and, and uh, an example that worship is not just passive. It's engaged in communion with God and how God impacts us when we do read the words when we do read his living word which should be bouncing out of the pages to us and speaking to us as i mentioned when i listened to this hymn by this ukrainian choir is actually with the backing of the kiev symphony orchestra that caught my attention and it was posted march i think March 8 or March 16, it was posted during the invasion by the Russians into Ukraine. I don't know when it was recorded. And I don't know when, if that was just the posting date, or it was in response to what was going on in Europe. But that really moved me to to think that Despite all their difficulties, despite their, their oncoming uh, onslaught, if you will, they continued to go to the place, as Peter says, where can we go when you have the words of eternal life? That they could be singing in the midst of this terrible war that's claimed so many lives already. Pointless. At least in our eyes, it's pointless. 
God knows why it's there and God is allowing it to go on. But when you see quote-unquote innocent people dying, you think, what's the point of all of this? But they were singing, and so beautifully, it was very moving. These were professional singers, but you could see that they were being moved by something, by someone. And I could just hear them say in Ukrainian, similar to Serbian, Blagoslovi Gospoda, Dusha Moya. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And when you look at this, this psalm, it was a psalm of David. It was most likely uh, composed or written towards the end of David's life because he seems to be reflecting back on the past. Although David was the king of Israel, although David was the man after God's own heart, although David was that the, the little shepherd boy that would play on his harp and meditate upon the word of God as he looked at the night sky and as he tended the sheep. Yet David had a, had a, had a great fall, bigger than the fall of Goliath perhaps, when David sinned. And his sin was not just that with with Bathsheba and, and in the murder of Uriah and in the lying that followed him to cover, try to cover up his, his sin. But his sin had a ripple effect on his family. Four of his children were badly affected by this. There was a, there was a uh, rebellion going on with his son Ab Absalom as he wanted to take the kingdom from his father, if you will. David paid dearly for his sin. David, the man that was after God's own heart, I could just imagine what was going through his mind at the time. God, you were so good to me. And I did this, this wicked thing that I did. And against you only, and you only have I sinned and done this wicked thing. Read about it in Psalm 51. His child died. His daughter was, if you will, abused by her own brother. And his brother went to kill him and, and, and then he rebelled against his dad. And so many tragedies that happened in his own family because of this, this sin that occurred. His own people were about to rebel against him. He had suffered many defeats. And then towards the end of his life, he's now reflecting. He's not addressing God in this psalm. He's not saying, God, you are this and you are that. He's, he's, he's reflecting within his own soul and God is listening to him. He knows the thoughts upon, in his head upon his bed. God is listening to what David is saying to himself. He's speaking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And 
he's really not doing this so that just God hears him, but because he really feels it inside. He can really... Um, he has a, a deep conviction that what is inside of him is now coming out and is being put on papyrus or tablet, whatever what form they used at that time. Leather. And they would often, the psalmist would often give what they've written down and give it to the chief choir master, Asaph, and say, this is a psalm that I have written. And, and he would then take this psalm and then they would maybe play it or sing it in, in, the, in the temple on, on, on the Sabbath day. It was a, a part of their worship. So the question comes, what, what did David do with this one? Did David give it to the choir master? It doesn't say to Asaph or to, to whoever the other ones were. But it was written and recorded and it came in this, in this order, in this in the Bible as we know it, Psalm 103. In our prayer meetings, we have the four different aspects of prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication. You notice in this psalm there is not one supplication. There is not one request from God. Because there are sometimes we just... He just praise God. We keep on asking and asking and asking, and there are sometimes we just need to praise God, or there could be sometimes we just need to confess, or there needs to be a t- some time of, of thanksgiving. But this one is reflection, where David is trying to reflect what God has done for me. Have we ever done that without going to God in that sense? Have we ever sat down and, and thought, God's done this. God's done this. What a great God he is. Look at his creation. And it just inspires us as we saw that last week at the prayer meeting where, where Brother Millie was so inspired to say what he had to say. He had to come out of him. How much of our lives consist of meditation meditating i don't mean this sitting in front of you know with a with a, with a empty head i'm meaning meditating on the word of god and how it has impacted me and how god is working in me and what else does god want me to do and david says bless the lord o my soul Not usually, as it says that, usually the lesser is blessed of the greater with Abraham, right? Melchizedek. But here, the lesser is blessing the greater. And the blessing is not that he's bestowing upon God something that he doesn't have. But uttering about God who he is. And what he has given us. That's blessing God. That's glorifying God. That's magnifying his name. If you go to Psalm 96. um, I think it's Psalm 96 and 95 also. And I've mentioned this before. 
Psalm 96 doesn't say even bless here. It says give unto the Lord. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the earth. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Many times this can be very spontaneous. Many times I may be driving along or thinking along something and then tears will come to my eyes because what has God has done for me? The things that he has shown himself in our lives, in my children, in my wife, in the church even, to see what God has done in our midst. So when we say bless the Lord, we are really giving him glory and strength and honour in, in the sense of giving him the praise due his name, as Psalm 96 says. Bless the Lord of my soul and forget not all of his benefits. And one thing that, that caught my attention this morning was the first song we sang was 279. Praise God, right? Thank you, the Lord. And the second verse, praise ye the Lord. And don't forget any of his benefits. Don't forget what God has done for us. Don't say, well, that was in the past. Now I've got all these problems. Remember those things that God has done. There's a, there's a scripture in the book of um, Second Chronicles. Remember King Hezekiah. He was a, a very faithful king of Judah. <clears throat> but he also had his shortcomings and faults. And one of them was God had healed him. God had given him a victory over, the, I believe, the Assyrians. Or, or I think it was Assyrians, I'm not sure. I can't remember. But he had given him the victory. And then in, um, yeah, it is Assyrians. And, and in chapter 20, uh, 32, verse 25, it says this. Let's just back up to verse 22. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the, inherit, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all the other, and guided them on the, every side. And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all the nations from henceforth. But then he says, In those days Hezekiah was sick unto death and prayed unto the Lord. And he spake unto him and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. For his heart was lifted up. Therefore, was wrath upon him and upon Judah and upon Jerusalem. Hezekiah forgot what God had done for him. He just delivered him from the Assyrians. And he didn't render to God for what he had done. Didn't acknowledge him because he was lifted up, because he was being praised. That's the danger of being praised. You let it go to your head and you become an ugly monster with a big head. And in God's eyes, 
instead of giving glory to God, he didn't. And he says that notwithstanding Hezekiah humbled himself after the wrath of God came upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. When we receive the gifts from the giver, but we forget the giver, that is sinful. Do we expect him to come back again? When we don't give thanks? If we humble ourselves, he will. If we beseech him in asking for forgiveness, because that's the next verse in, in Psalm 103. Don't forget what he's done for us. And verse 3 says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, and who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. In this, in this chapter, you can see on three different locations, he keeps on going back to forgiveness. He keeps on going back to God's mercies. He keeps on going back to his uh, God not dealing with him according to his iniquities. That is the heart of a penitent, truly humble uh, creature before the creator, before the king, before a, a sinner, before the saviour. That he recognises that he is indeed a sinner and recognises that only God can forgive his iniquities. David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And now he's reflecting about the past and he's now, he feels forgiven, but he's still reflecting now in the past, not saying, well, all my sins are forgiven and I can move on. He remembers what Christ did for him, or what God did for him. That's why Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, you know, if we forget If we don't do these things that he said we should do, you know, add to your faith virtue and to virtue and so forth, then, then we are blind. We cannot see afar off and we have forgotten that we were purged from our sins. God forgets our sins, but we shouldn't forget that we were purged from our sins. Because that may make us be exactly what he said, lifted up, proud, that we are somebody, we are something, not realizing we are somebody and something because of God forgiving our sins, because of God giving us Christ to die on the cross for our sins. This almost sounds like Isaiah, doesn't it? For by his stripes we are healed. Peter refers to that to sin. To, sorry, Peter refers to that, if you go, go to the book of Peter, he's, he says it in the context of physical healing. But when it says in Isaiah, uh, we, you know, by his stripes we are healed, he's really meaning by the punishment that was upon Christ, we have been healed from our sins and from the effects of sin. And who redeems thy life 
from destruction. He saves your life. You are going down the wrong path. You're going to the, to the precipice. You're going to the cliff. You are going to fall off. And he saved you. He saved me from destruction. He's that good shepherd who crowns thee with loving kindness. This is the Old Testament version of grace. Hesed. Hesed is the Old Testament word for grace. His loving kindness, his mercy. Thy loving kindness is better than life, he says. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. Thy loving kindness is better than life. And then he says, Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. I looked up that word, thy mouth. What does that mean? Satisfy thy mouth. It gives you food. I think the Strong's number was something like 5716, Hebrew, H5716. And look for it. Every single time, it doesn't say mouth, it says ornaments. And one time it says old age. This is perhaps another clue that this was in David's old age. Who satisfies your old age with good things. Though you've gone through all the challenges and trials and tribulations of your youth. And that's why David says, forgive me the sins of my youth. He says, God satisfies you now in your old age. So that thy youth is the other clue that it's a contrast between old and new. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. And I'm wondering what that, what they, what that meant. My understanding is that eagles, what, can you think of another scripture where it talks about they shall mount up with wings as eagles? They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wasn't that in the Isaiah chapter 40? When John the Baptist was that voice in the wilderness saying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Every valley shall be exalted. Every hill shall be made low. And you prepare the way of the Lord. He says, and they that trust in the Lord, right? Their strength shall be renewed as eagles. Apparently, eagles, depends which kind of bird it is, but specifically eagles, they shed their, their feathers. It's called molting. I remember that from my brother Milo would know when they had pigeons. They had. We had pigeons back in Adelaide. And they would molt. They would shed their feathers at certain seasons, at a certain years. In, with eagles, the bald eagle, it is said that after about two or three years, they begin to shed this outer layer of feathers because they could get wrecked, damaged, they could get oily, greasy, and they, it's hard for them to fly. But 
when they get their new set of wings, if you will, by molting and replacement of their feathers, their wings are renewed. And they can then soar. They can then go to great heights. They can mount up and go to great heights. And they usually do that in a storm against the wind when the laws of thermodynamics take, take over and they, they're raised up, aerodynamics should I say, and they're raised up and they go high. But in their low times when they're weakened and when their feathers are uh, becoming old and cracked and, 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 and they're molting, they actually go on the low areas of the forest because they can't fly. And they walk around looking for foraging for food. David is saying, God in my old age has, has renewed my strength as an eagle. And he's gone through this process where he had to be defeathered. And God had given him new wings, new feathers. I looked into the, uh, there's a cross uh, reference, Job chapter 39. The last three verses, four verses. Doth the eagle mount up at thy command? Remember this is Job in in a big discussion with God. When Job felt that God was, was being cruel to him. And God says, where were you when I created the world? Can you, can you answer any of these questions I give to you? And Job ended up you know, saying, of a thousand questions, we won't be able to answer any. And he says here, Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock, in the strong place, from thence she seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold them afar off. Her young ones also suck up blood, and there, and where the slain are, there is she. I'm wondering if Christ was referring to this scripture. When the disciples asked the Lord, when all of these things were, are going to happen at his coming, and they're going to say, where, Lord? He says where, the e- he says, where the eagles are, where the prey is, whatever, where the carcasses are, there will the eagles gather together. What a wonderful book we have. I mean, written hundreds of years, thousands of years apart, and it's still in effect. It still has application and, and when, when we think we, we can outsmart the Bible, the Bible comes back with more answers, as we heard this morning. And God said to Solomon, perhaps in his old age too, you're looking for the answers in life? Look at the animals that I made. Look at the ant, how he works, and he's never hungry. Look at this and look at that. The answers of God are wise and they're applicable to us today 
what we see in the Old and New Testaments. Then it says, the Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. God will take care of his own. If someone is being mistreated, abused, uh, if, if what's happening over in the Ukraine or in, in other countries that has, that has happened in the past, God has dealt with that. And God will not forget. How many, how many tyrants that have, been, that have been raised up in our generation alone can you think of that had a terrible end? Although they thought they were it. They were the Nebuchadnezzars. Saddam Hussein said he was Nebuchadnezzar, the descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was caught in a spider hole a few feet under the ground, thought he could hide from everyone. Gaddafi. The leader of, what was his name, Baghdadi, ISIS. Every one of them will meet their judgment. Their God will exercise his judgment and righteousness to all those that are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. But he says, but God, the Lord, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide. He will not always keep his anger forever as he didn't do with Hezekiah. When Hezekiah repented and humbled himself, God subsided his anger. God forgave. And God is telling that to us today. God is a God of wrath. We are the children of wrath until we submit ourselves to God. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that um, God is always pointing down at us and shaking his fist. No. We are under God's wrath when we go against his, his laws, his commands. We hurt ourselves. We injure ourselves. We do harm to ourselves. And that also is con considered to be the part of the wrath of God. God says, you touch this hot plate, you're going to get burned. You go, you go next to a poisonous uh, critter, you're going to get bitten and you're going to die. You jump off a cliff, you're going to fall, you're going to die. Don't go against the laws. You meddle with sin. You meddle with pornography. You meddle with, with all kinds of uh, things available to you today. It's like taking into yourselves, he said, into your bosom, fire into your bosom. You'll get burned. You'll destroy yourself. God wants you to save you from that. He's merciful. He's gracious. He says, for as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is the mercy toward them that fear him. It's reminiscent of Isaiah 55. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. And as a father pities his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knows that we are dust. He, we, he knows our frame. He knows our construction. He knows what we are composed of. He made us. I mentioned this before about Jesus 
When the, we heard about the feeding of the five, 6,000 this morning, in another place, when they were, uh, was it on the other side of the, um, the, the, the Sea of Galilee, there were 5,000. And they were hungry and starving, and Jesus had compassion on them. And he said, give you then to eat. And his disciples said, Lord, this is desert. You think he didn't know it was desert? He made it. Did they think that Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the creator, didn't know this was desert? He knew it, wasn't, it was desert. He knew things don't grow in the desert. But he knew how to perform miracles. To show that it wasn't man that did this, but God that did this. He knows our frame. He knows that we are hungry. He knows that we are thirsty. He knows that we are naked. He knows that we are in need. But he wants us to know that he is the provider of all that we have. And that we need to go to him for everything that we need. And he also knows that man's days are as grass. As a flower of the field. So he flourisheth. That's what Isaiah 40 says too, right? Or was it Isaiah 6? We're like the grass of the field. We're cut down in the morning and by the evening this all withered. It's dry. It's dead. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children and to such that keep his covenant and to those that remember his covenant commandments to do them. This morning, well no, it was one does this morning. Yesterday I was watching a, a, a discussion be, between two Anabaptists and um, the one Anabaptist was saying to, asking him a question, so what is Anabaptism? Why is it different? And the Anabaptist preacher was saying, well, Anabaptism is not a denomination. It's a worldview. It's a worldview. You won't go to a church that says, the, the church of the Anabaptists. You won't see that. There are many Anabaptist types. The brethren. We are not Anabaptists. We're akin to the Anabaptists. But it's what, the way they view the Bible. In other words, they say, if the Bible says, love your enemy, that's what we're going to do. If the Bible says, give him the other cheek, that's what we're going to do. We're not going to give an explanation why we shouldn't. We're not going to give an explanation why I can go to war when the Bible says, love your enemies. Love some enemies. Love all enemies. Love military enemies. No, love your enemies. And when the Bible says to obey my commandments, as it said in Psalm 103, he says, can I be a follower of Christ? Can I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ if I don't follow Christ? We had a test here last week, Brother Ed Yarn, right? I love the test. I love the exam they gave us. This is a simple question. He, he raised that question too. The Anabaptist raised it in a, different, in a different manner. He says, can I, because there are many denominations, there are many believers, 
There many people say, I am a follower of Christ. Can I really call myself a follower of Christ if I do not follow Christ? Simple question. I pray that everyone, starting with me, that we will look at the, the word of God, what God has done for us, who God is to us, and reflect more on that. Don't just give us, don't just give him our words. Say, God, you're this, you're that, God, that's good. But can we really reflect, be introspective and say, oh, my soul, Doug, what did I do today? Why did I do that? Is God really the God that you claim him to be, that you preach from the pulpit? Are you practicing that? It's a, it's, a, it's a discussion between me and myself. And believe it or not, I talk to myself a lot. And I tell people, talk to yourself. When people are going through struggles, when they're going through, through anxiety or when they're going through sin... Or being tempted by sin. I say, talk to yourself. Say, Jack, don't do this. You know that this is not pleasing to God. Or, Jack, don't go there. You've been there before. You've tried it. It hasn't worked. Come back. David reflected on the word of God. And he applied it to himself. We need to do the same. In doing so, God is real to us. The word is real to us. The word is alive to us. And then it can have its effect on us. I'm not saying don't let God speak to you. Let God speak to you for sure. But meditate upon what he said. And the Bible says, Paul, we heard it last week, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Remember that? Yeah, examine yourself. And you know that, sorry for taking a little bit of time, remember that word reprobate that, that brother uh, Ed talked about? I looked up the, 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 the Greek definition of that word reprobate and how it's in different translations. It says, if Christ is in you, examine yourself, unless you be reprobates. Well, that word, the translation of that in, in several of the translations is unless you have failed the test. And when you fail the test with God, you've, you've reprobate. When you don't do what he's done, what he's told you to do. I'm not saying in a slip up. I'm saying when you continue to reject, then you'll fail the test. May the Lord bless the word to him be all the glory evermore. Amen. Was it Hezekiah that won the war, the battle against the Assyrians when he sent out the choirs? Who was that? Asap, sorry. Yeah. Instead of sending an army of 
archers and cavalry, he sent out the choirs. It reminded me of what's happening in Kiev. While buildings are burning, while the bombs are dropping, the missiles are flying. How men can only find, and women, a refuge in the God and the creator of this world. When it's all been said and done, there's only just one thing that matters, the songwriter said. What we have done for God. What we have done to God. How we have responded to God's word. That's all that matters. There are many in this congregation that we pray for. Many. Brother Gary came with a very specific mission in mind here. To preach the word to those that he knew. Had these questions like the ex-angelists do. There's only one thing that matters when it's all been said and done. Have we lived our life for Jesus Christ? To him be the glory evermore. This concludes our service.